Amen. So we started last week talking about this uh, one spirit, many gifts out of the Believe uh, series out of the book. And uh, man, we had such interesting discussion last Sunday night. Amen. Amen. If you didn't think it was interesting, I thought it was interesting. It was good stuff and, and just a lot of questions. And, and um, so I actually, I stopped off about midway through the sermon last week because I just, um, we didn't have enough time to, to do justice to the second half of this, and God had a plan in all of that anyway. Uh, not that he doesn't always have a plan, but, you know, sometimes I think I'm supposed to get through a, a sermon, and then, and then God's like, ah, you're only supposed to get through part of this sermon. Okay, so, so, um, so I had to do some changing, um, or I should say some addition at the beginning based on the, a lot of the conversation that we had last week um, on Sunday night. So one of the one of the big discussions that came up last Sunday night was talking about talents, if you will, versus spiritual gifts. So as a result, I, I want to start out today just giving a general explanation of the difference between the two. And as I was preparing for, you know, how did, how did I want to provide this definition? I came across one that... Uh, on a site that I refer to often on just a lot of things in general for a study um, opportunity. And so I don't always agree with everything they have on there. Sometimes it's a, a little slanted one direction or the other, but, but this one was good. And so I want to share this definition with you today. And here's what it says. I know it's a little small, but it's probably bigger back here behind me. I like that. To summarize the differences between spiritual gifts and talents, number one, a talent is the result of genetics and our training, while a spiritual gift is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. I'm going to read all of these twice. A talent is the result of genetics, understanding that God created us, so this isn't saying that it's out of you, per se, or out of your family, Although it is genetic, maybe to your friends. Some people just have, I mean, they got better hand eye coordination than other people do, and it's genetics. No matter how hard you work at it, you won't be as good as they are because genetically they're predisposed to be better at that. But God created us, so even when something is genetic, God, God is the one who is the author of that. So talent is the result of genetics and our training, while a spiritual gift is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to dwell on this a whole lot, but this idea of training as well, because oftentimes what we perceive as someone being talented um, is that they work hard. My mom's been a piano teacher um, all of my life, and I've often heard her talk about that there are people who have an innate talent. They may be a genetic talent. They're predisposed to be able to play piano, but they will not put the work in. And because they won't put the work in when it comes time to sit down and take a piece of sheet music, you know, we do a lot of chord chart stuff and everything around here because it's just very simple. And, but I was, I was trained classically. I was a classical pianist when and I had to get over in contemporary gospel stuff. And so, uh, so I, now I was in some southern gospel now. I could, I could boom chuck with the best of them. It's what everyone, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. You know, it's like Johnny Cash kind of gospel. But... Oftentimes, someone who would apply themselves that did not have as much talent as someone else, they would outperform them when it came to their ability to accompany a choir or something like that, simply because they'd put the work in. A person had talent, but they would not apply themselves in that talent, and so it couldn't manifest itself. You knew they had it. 
You may have athletes that are that way. They have some innate abilities, but when they get to a certain level against a certain level of competition, all of a sudden they start getting smoked because they won't put the effort in. And someone else who doesn't have the same level of talent will apply themselves and work and work and work and work, and they will outperform them, although they don't have the same raw ability. Number two, a talent can be possessed by anyone, Christian or non-Christian, while spiritual gifts are only possessed by Christians. A talent can be possessed by anyone, Christian or non-Christian, while spiritual gifts are only possessed by Christians. Number three, while both talents and spiritual gifts should be used for God's glory and to minister to others, spiritual gifts are focused on these tasks, while talents can be used entirely for non-spiritual purposes. Understand it. While both talents and spiritual gifts should be used for God's glory and to minister to others, spiritual gifts are focused on these tasks. What task? On the task of bringing God glory and ministering to others. While talents can be used for things that are entirely non-spiritual purposes. We, boy, we had a lot of great discussions. We, we even afterwards, we were talking about whether it's singing or maybe music or whatever, uh, this talent versus a spiritual gift that comes in some of that stuff. So we're going to start with that today. We're going to start with that sort of as our backdrop of understanding those differences between spiritual gifts and talents. Um, honestly, even when people never served God with their lives, their talents were still given to them by God. Because God designed us, God created us. I still think that two of the people that I feel, you know, if you want to run me off after this one, it'll be okay. Um, I still feel that two of the people that I enjoy their music and am awed by what their talent was, but am heartbroken that they never used it for God was Michael Jackson and Prince. I, th I still to this day believe that Michael Jackson is the most talented musician that's probably ever lived. Um, I understand that you had, and I know people go, oh my goodness, you know, you, what about Beethoven and all these kind of folks? No, it's, I'm just telling you, if you ever watch the This Is It, I think, I think it's the name of the This Is It, uh, the, 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 it's, a, it's a movie, but it follows uh, Michael Jackson's one of his last tours. Unbelievable musician. I'm astounded by him. He would, um, some of the, the interviews they do in that, he would tell... They were, they were doing one of his songs, and, and it was like 15 years old or more. And so he's got this band that's playing with him that's not necessarily the same band that was playing with him 15 years ago, and he's telling the keyboard guy, who's got like six keyboards all around him, got two in front of him, two on each side, and he's telling him, he's going, no, 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 hey, hey, the, uh, the rhythm is more like this. And he, he sounds out the rhythm, he says, and it's more... I mean, he gives him the whole thing. And then they, then they cut away to an interview with that guy, and he's going, he remembers all this stuff. He said he remembers what the sound should be like. He remembers exactly what the rhythms are supposed to be. He remembers what every musician is supposed to sound like. Unbelievable talent. I mean, you listen to some of the stuff that he wrote. I still, I think some of them, oh, I, I think he was coming so close to letting God inspire him. I still say Man in the Mirror. It's one of the greatest songs that's ever out there. Gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. 
I'm starting with a man in the mirror, and I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make that change. And then that choir comes in behind him, and I, man, I, I'm sorry, I'll have church right then. <laughs> they change keys. I'm starting. Oh, and we're going to do that one Sunday, I'm just telling you. We're going we're gonna to do that song, because I mean, it's great. Talents are out there, but having a spiritual gift then comes only from the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It can only be possessed by Christians. And I think one of the reasons it breaks my heart when I see someone who's extremely talented but does not allow God to utilize them and therefore allow God to impart a spiritual gift that could utilize their talents to do something because everybody can sing... Some people can sing well. <laughs> Some people can sing extremely well and are very talented. But then if God is able through the power of the Holy Spirit to then work where maybe that they have the spiritual gift of leadership or something along those lines where they can take the talent that God has given them, but they are then able to allow the working of a spiritual gift to take and do something powerful in people's lives using the talent that God has given them. There's a lot of people in churches that are up using talents, but they don't even necessarily know Jesus. If you are a fan of Southern Gospel, I remember we were at Harvest, and the guy, and I can't remember, his name's Jay, isn't it? Jay Parrick? Parrick, something to that effect, that, that was with Gold City. And Jay, Jay talks about how that he was using his talents and all that, but he had to come to Jesus. And he was in one of the most successful Southern Gospel quartets that's out there, and then he had to get saved. His talent, I mean, he's an amazing tenor. I mean, it's unbelievable. But when you're able to move from operating in your talent, see, we have reached a point in the church world where we are more impressed with talent than we are with the power of the Holy Spirit operating in people. We have reached a point where talent astounds us more than does someone being yielded to the Holy Spirit. We're astounded more by skill level than we are by spirit level. So what is the purpose and the function of spiritual gifts? And we're going to touch back on a lot of this. I, I just really had to take and do some work in what I had here, and, and I'm, I'm glad he did. What is God's overarching mission in this world? And I would challenge us whether we would not say that it's redemption of all of creation. He is looking to redeem everything, all of creation, not just mankind. The Bible is very clear that he is going to redeem creation. It talks about the world is groaning in anticipation of when Jesus will come back and all things will be redeemed then because the world itself was never supposed to experience death and fighting, and all of these things that occur even in the animal kingdom, not just between men. So God desires to redeem all of creation. That's why there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and all things will be restored to God's original intent. Um, I continue to say, and we covered this probably maybe a year ago, about how that the story of the gospel is not, it does not begin 
with Jesus came to earth, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus died for sin, Jesus was buried three days later, he rose, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. That is not the message of the gospel. That is only a part of the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel begins all the way in Genesis within the beginning that God created, and that God then looked after man had been created, after everything in the world had been created, God looked and said that all that he had made was good. He didn't make us flawed. He didn't make us, but he did make us where we had a choice. But at that point in time, the Bible says that God looked and saw that everything that he had made was good. And that included mankind. In that moment, we had not sinned yet. What God had done was good. Then man made a choice, and it was not Eve, by the way. I hate, I, can, I continue to hate when I see people, you know, oh, Eve did this. No, God actually had commanded Adam. We never see that God actually told Eve, don't eat of the tree. Adam was the one who was supposed to communicate that spiritual law that God had given that spiritual direction to those that then God put under his care. So Adam had most likely told Eve, we're not supposed to eat of that tree. God told Adam. Eve then is tempted and goes to give it to Adam. And at that point, Adam is the one who should have said, we're not supposed to do this. I'm the, I've got to lead us spiritually. It's sitting about control. This is about responsibility. And we can't do this. But Adam didn't, and he took of it. And the Bible then talks about as, as through one man, Adam, that sin and death entered the world, then through the second Adam, that there would be redemption that would occur. There would be this salvation that would occur. Never says because of what one woman, Eve, did. It says because of what this man, Adam, did. And so... Adam and Eve, as our first ancestors then, made a decision with Adam being the one responsible. And Adam made a choice, and he sinned, and so death and sin entered the world, and it became part of us, and we were all born in, into sin. God then recognizes that there's a need, so he sends the law in order to show us that we have need of a Savior and point us to Jesus Christ. Then he sends Jesus who can now fulfill the, the, the requirements that we cannot fulfill on our own because everything was originally good. Man made a choice in sin. God said, you can't meet the law that I've put in place for you, the requirements, so I will meet them myself for myself so that you can have a relationship with me. God did not abuse his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was willing to come. We see in the, in the New Testament, it talks about that they looked for one who was able and who was willing and who was prepared. And he, hey, I'll go. The Bible says that he didn't, no one took his life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. So no, God is not a child abuser abusing his son. It's just the king and his son were really the only ones who could pay the full price, but Jesus did so willingly. And so God is not trying to abuse us. God is not trying to send us to hell. God gave us a choice. We made a bad choice. God said, then I will meet my own requirements myself so that I can have a relationship with you. All you have to do is receive it. So he sends his son, Jesus. Jesus dies on a cross after having lived a perfect life, pays once and for all the penalty for sin, is 
you know, raised from the dead three days later with the keys to death, hell, and the grave, ascends up into heaven and says, I'm going to come back for you one day. But all you have to do is believe on me, confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved. There's an entire message of the gospel, but it doesn't even end there because then you got to go all the way over to the end of the book and see that what he's trying to do then is once Jesus comes back and carries his saints who are alive and remain, carries them with him, then he's going to end with a new heaven and a new earth that is back restored to what the original creation was where there was no death, no pain, no sorrow, no heartache, all of those things. It's a full picture of the gospel. That is God's mission in the world. And God has chosen to use us, his people, his church, to be his agent of bringing this about in our world. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, covers some of this idea about some of these spiritual gifts that God then bestows on us so that we can accomplish this purpose that he has. And here's what it says, Romans 12, beginning with verse 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have differing gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 31. We're going to get three big scripture passages out of the way, and we're going to talk about some of this stuff. Some of this even came up Sunday night, and we're going to, we're going to dive into this some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we had, we, in Romans there, we just had a bunch of lists of things, or a list of a bunch of things that could be considered gifts, but we're going to explain some of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 31. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretation of languages. But one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For as the body is one, there it is again, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. 
And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. I want to take just a moment just, just real quick and talk about something. This is why here recently I, I saw a conversation taking place in a Facebook group and, and I jumped all up in the middle of it, I guess, because I, I saw someone post and said, ah, in these other countries, they treat their pastors with a different level of respect and honor and God's not going to bless the United States until people start honoring their pastors and leaders the way they should. And I said, dude, what are you looking for? What is it you're after? Well, I mean, what do you want? And he went so far as to say that people need to recognize that pastors are on a different level. And I said, look, man, I understand that God has called you with a different responsibility. I understand that God has called us, and, and yeah, we stand up and say, basically, whenever we preach, we're saying, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Word of God. This is what, and there's a, there's a great accountability there. He said, well, people just shouldn't look at their pastors like they're everyday people like everyone else. They have this call. And I said, dude, I am everyday people like everybody else. I don't know about you. I'm going to mess some stuff up like everyday people do. I'm supposed to be in the Word like everyday people are. I'm supposed to be in prayer like everyday people are. This isn't the Old Testament where the only way to get to God is through the priest. We're not one of those church denominations that believes you still got to go through one guy. Bible says that we're all a royal priesthood. I understand that we're going to see here in a moment in Ephesians that he says that one of the gifts he gives includes pastors, but teachers and all kinds of other stuff. But I said, but that just means you got a different accountability. This portion of the scripture that we've just read says, hey, just because that you're one of the, well, the parts of the body that doesn't have to have clothes on it and is viewed as more presentable doesn't make you any better or more honorable than those with which you have to... Because let's just be honest. Now, we, we, we're old enough up in here. The presentable parts that you see can't seem to replicate us. You'll catch that in a minute. So you can have all the honor you want to about your face and your hands and all that stuff, but it can't create another human being. It's going to be parts that you keep covered up. In a lot of churches, God's not so much counting on the face that can be seen and the hands and all of that. It's going to be the stuff that happens in secret. People that are in their prayer closet, people that are off on their face before God that's going to cause replication within God's family. Because they're the ones that are going to pray for people. They're going to touch God on behalf of people. And yeah, they may come to church and hear a message or whatever and come to Christ, but it was the work that got done somewhere else. He said there shouldn't be division in the body. The members need to have the same concern for each other, whether you're an eye, an ear, a foot, a hand, a nose, whatever it is. We have to work together. We're one body. No division, same concern for one another. He says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, managing various kinds of language. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? He doesn't answer the question because he doesn't have to because we know that no, right? It's not that hard. Is everybody an apostle? No. Is everybody a prophet? No. Is everybody a teacher? No. By the way, just especially, he says, do all have gifts of language of healing? No. Do all speak in other tongues or other languages? No. Do all interpret? No. He says, but desire the greater gifts. And I'll show you an even better way. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 gives us another look at some gifts. He says, the one who ascended or descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So, one of the things that we can see out of these three main passages in the New Testament that tell us about spiritual gifts is that they are all given for the common good. They are given to build up the body of Christ. They are given in order to be used for the common good. It is not for the elevation of the individual. And sadly, our world has become one of these places in the faith community where people will drive 200 miles to go see a certain person speak or preach or do some kind of service or whatever because it is becoming about elevating the person. I've always had problems. I don't, I don't have any problem. I know that people say, you know, well, I don't want you to, you, you know, you don't need to call something out or whatever. Look, when stuff's just wrong, it just needs to be called out. And I've never, I've never been a fan of believing that God is all up in. You hear me, because I'm going to get through the whole thing on this. But I've never been a fan of believing that you, you stand in an arena and there's 10,000 people in there and there's a whole section of folks over here and you, so you call the violinist out to come over here and say, now when I tell him to play, all of y'all just going to have a wave of the Spirit come at y'all. There's a bunch of unsaved people in some of that stuff. Holy Spirit ain't knocking all them folks down and stuff. You don't even know Jesus. Do I believe that God moves on people and that, and that God overcomes people? Absolutely. Been there, done that. But a lot of the stuff that goes on and it goes on out in the, in the public eye, I'm just going to tell you, it's not of God. There's people that's out there. They, when you, you start snatching your jacket off, slapping people over the head. But you, I, don't, I don't see anything near that in God's Word. Piling people up like cordwood. One of the best memes that's out there. Actually, it's one of them little video things. And, and he goes, it's, it's a Jedi one. One of them guys is taking that, and they do it like it's a lightsaber. And you hear... <laughs> I mean, it's stacking people up like cordwood. I mean, the world does not... Let me tell you something. You may see in Acts chapter 2, you may see that 
that people around that said, hey, these folks must be, they must be full of new wine. They must be drunk and all that stuff. But what happened out of that? Then, then God was able to cause there to be a great revival amongst people. People in the world today that see some of the junk that goes on, they just make fun of it because there is not a power of the Holy Spirit behind it that is confirming that that stuff is real. But then there's people off somewhere that they're praying for people, and man, people get moved on, and the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives, and God does powerful things in them, and that don't make TV because it's real. And it's sincere, and it's not about show, and it's not about buy my new book that I wrote, and it's not about buy my stuff and give to my ministry and all of that. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about what God is doing, and God is still in the miracle business. God is still about healing people, and God is still about restoring marriages and doing powerful things in people's lives. Don't you misunderstand that? We're not going to swing to the other extreme because there's people over here that abuse stuff and not believe that God is not doing powerful things and then suffer over here without the power of God active in our lives. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's not for the glorification of an individual's ministry. And it's always to be recognized as God at work. I'll give you an example where we sometimes usually only recognize that some parts are working and then we honor those. So when somebody stands behind a piano and they play, I've heard it all the time. I know Jason's heard this all, probably most of his life too. I've heard people, they'll come up after a church service and they'll say, oh, I just wish I could get my hands to play like that. I took piano for two years, but I can't play like that. Well, duh. I mean, you took some half-hearted lessons for two years, and you think you ought to be able to stand up and play and sing. And Man, I, I had a mama that made me practice for an hour and something every day, and we were laughing about it at Christmas time because if I was ever downstairs, so she taught piano downstairs, and so I'd be upstairs practicing. But um, and she, so she'd come to the foot of the stairs. If I started playing some kind of stuff other than what I was supposed to be playing, <laughs> I'm not talking about like different spiritually stuff. But I mean, I was just supposed to be practicing, you know, Rachmaninoff and Beethoven and scales and all that, and I start playing something else. She'd come to the foot of the stairs. Hey. Hey, she'd be down there teaching. She'd tell them, y'all hold on for a second. Her students learned a lot. Hey, you need, when you practice, you need to practice right. She'd come over the stairs. Hey, if I was downstairs practicing, she was upstairs. I'd bum, 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 you know what most people do? Oh, I just wish I could get my hands to play like that. See, you're not even, you're not even recognized. So you just look and go, oh, my hands just don't move like that. It's not just your hands that are doing that stuff. You got a foot working a pedal. You got eyes that are looking at music. Now, you can play with your eyes closed and all that stuff, but it's a lot better if you can see music and stuff. You know, when you, I understand there's Gordon Motes and folks like that. They're tremendous. God just blesses them. But your eyes working at your brain. Your brain tells your hands what to do. You're not, even if you're not thinking about it, your brain's still telling them what to do. All that stuff, we don't think about that. We just look and go, man, that guy's hands were flying. Yep, that means his brain was connecting with all that, and his body was responding. And I've seen people, we went into a church 
when we first moved to Indiana, and it was one, it was a, it was a heartbreaking thing to see a lady who had played piano in church her whole life and had a stroke, and now her brain couldn't tell her hands to respond the right way, and so she was attempting to play. She was the only musician that they had before we got there. And she just couldn't stay up because her, her body wouldn't respond to what her mind was, was telling it. We just see the hands sometimes. We just see the people that are out front. We don't recognize that there's stuff that God is doing in the body of Christ that is never seen, but yields the result that's seen. Spiritual gifts are not given for self-glorification, self-gratification, or self-elevation. And I truly believe that God would be able to use us more effectively in our spiritual giftings if we drop the issues that puff us up when he uses us in them. Because God will not share his glory with anybody else. And it would be foolish and an error for anyone to believe that what God does in us would ever somehow be transferred over to us being the ones who are doing it. That's why I say it's heartbreaking when I see the talent that a Michael Jackson had or that a Prince, because he's one of the most amazing guitarists and stuff that, I mean, honestly, I've, when I watch some of these guys that can play and they just, they're not even looking and, and they're, they're, they can talk and sit there and be doing stuff and they're having a conversation. I mean, I can talk while I'm doing stuff. It's just my brain's about halfway on what's, what's going on and I'm talking to you. And there's some notes going to get missed over here on some stuff. It don't matter if I'm playing piano or whatever. It's just going to happen. These guys, I've watched them, and it's amazing talent. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit then had been able to work through them and use that talent, the impact it could have had on the world? As a side note, I do personally believe that many believers today choose to refer to things as spiritual gifts in order to explain away why they don't have that in operation in their life. Well, that's a spiritual gifting, and I don't have that gifting. No, you just don't like to give. No, you just don't like to serve. For instance, it's easy to describe someone else as having the gift of hospitality in order to excuse your own sour attitude or unwillingness to be hospitable to others or justify your desire to be a loner. I just don't have that gifting. No, you just don't have that character trait. And you need to work on it. Because you can have that character trait without having that spiritual gifting. God didn't say, well, unless you have the gift of hospitality, then you don't have to be hospitable. As some folks got the spit part right, but not the rest of it. We do not need to make the spiritual mistake of viewing ourselves as not having a gifting in something that in reality should be a spiritual discipline that we're working out in our life. One of the things we talked about Sunday night involved whether particular things were really a spiritual gift. We had a lot of things that were brought up. We spent the most time talking about one, and I want to I talk about it because of what we see in Romans 12, and we're going to build on that one because I just had a lot of discussion about this. One of those that came up was about giving. In Romans 12, we, we saw in Romans 12 that one of the... Uh, there was a statement that according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts, and then one of the gifts that could be listed is giving, 
It was coupled with generosity. So one of the key things that I always strive to tell people to use as a barometer about many of the spiritual gifts is this, and this ties in with our definition that we had at the beginning. Do unbelievers also exercise this same activity? So when you look in, particularly in Romans 12, where you see some of those things where he talks about serving, talks about leading, talks about giving. Unbelievers do those three things. In fact, some of the greatest leaders in our world itself, as far as being able to lead people, get things done and all that, they're not believers. It's a little sad, but... I mean, some of the, some of the people that are most effective in businesses and things like that, they're, they're not believers. Some of the people that give the most, they're not believers. Some of the people that serve the most, they can be atheists, but they will go serve. If unbelievers also exercise the same activity, then the activity itself is not a spiritual gifting. Because unbelievers who do not have the Holy Spirit in them, empowering them, are still able to function in that area that we look at and see. And I'm not, I'm not contradicting you. Hang in here with me. That we see it list as giving. We could tie this in. We could be doing the leadership one or we could be doing the serving one. We just talked a lot about this on Sunday night. And I want to use this as an example to show you the bigger picture. And, and uh, you're going to find some encouragement out of the end of this. How many of us, don't raise your hand. How many of us faithfully give in tithing or maybe offerings throughout the years? Because many people do, including I know unbelievers that actually tithe faithfully to churches. They don't go. They don't claim to know Jesus. But I have heard people, wealthy people say, yeah, I tithe because I believe in the principle of tithing. And they give more faithfully sometimes than people that go to church. They don't do so because they got a spiritual gifting. In fact, they don't even claim to want to know Jesus. They just say, I believe in the principle. It's like sowing and reaping, right? The ground doesn't care whether you know Jesus or not. You plant seeds and you water it and fertilize it and all that stuff's liable to grow, right? So there are many areas where we might see a gift stated in Scripture yet not actually have that as a spiritual gift in our own lives even though we've done that activity at points in our lives. Most all of you have given at some point in your life. Most all of you have served at some point in your life. Many of you have probably taught at some point in your life. Most of you have shown mercy on someone. I hope you have. <laughs> Most of you have exhorted or encouraged someone at some point in your life. But does that mean you have specifically been given that spiritual gifting and the operation of that in your life? No. No doesn't mean that just because we've done that sometimes in our life that you have been given that spiritual gifting. You may have a totally different spiritual gifting, but yet all of us, I mean, would we say that any believer should not give? Would we say that any believer should not serve? Would we say that any believer shouldn't teach at some point? That you shouldn't show mercy? That we shouldn't exhort or encourage people? No, we would say that that should be part of every believer. But yet then there is this other thing, this spiritual gifting in those areas. 
So all of us should be exercising these type of things, giving, serving, leading, teaching, all that kind of stuff. But yet then there is a level beyond that where the Holy Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifting to do something that's even beyond the norm. I would point out that in accordance with what Paul said in Romans 12, that we're different body parts and we have different functions, we may demonstrate one of these activities without actually having that as a spiritual gifting that functions in our lives ongoing. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't exercise that activity, though. Every believer, I'm sticking with this, this theme that we're going with, every believer is called to give. In Proverbs 3 and 9 and Malachi 3.10, we see the concept of tithing. Now, don't get hung up about that, that, they, that concept of tithing is in the Old Testament. Um, yes, if we come over into the New Testament, the Bible talks about that God loves a cheerful giver. And at that point, it moves beyond being about 10% or whatever else, honestly. It moves into being that God wants you to give. Because if you were in the Old Testament and you said, well, I'm giving my 10%, I'm good. Well, God may call you to do something totally different than that in the New Testament. God may call you instead of saying, well, you know what? I got billions of dollars, but as long as I give my 10%, I'm all right. God may be saying, no, you got billions of dollars. I want you to give way more than that because you don't need all this other. I want to use you as a conduit to flow that, that money through. You may be giving 50 60%. I know some very wealthy people that do that. They don't live around here. They can come to this church. <laughs> <laughs> so God calls us all to give when it comes to some element, if you will, of, of, of tithing. Um, offerings and missions giving. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Personal almsgiving to the poor in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 14. And then just giving in obedience, which is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. So we're all called to give in supporting um, the, the, the work of God at a local level. We're called to give and to support the work of God when it comes to missions. And I can, I can tell you, I remember when I was a kid, it, um, you know, before we got, because you didn't have the internet, it's terrible. You know, like our kids, they don't remember a lot of stuff, right? They don't remember. I, I mean, some of y'all, y'all are, some of you are just a little bit older than I am. We'll keep it that way. You're just a little bit older than I am. But, but now, I, you know, I'm able to remember when we didn't have the internet, when we didn't have cell phones, when before we had pagers, I mean, it was just you had the rotary phone on the wall. You didn't know who was calling. You had to answer to find out, right? Before we had answering machines, I've told you all before, I used to love it. There used to be a commercial on TV that I always wanted. When Michelle and I first got married, I just couldn't afford it. I always wanted, because that was back when answering machines had a cassette tape in it. And, and they had this tape, and, and it had all these different styles of greetings, and it would just play through them. And I remember one of them was a rap. And I thought it was cool saying, you got to wait for the beat. You got to leave your name. You got to leave your number. You got to wait for the beat. You got to leave your name. You got to leave your number. I thought, man, that's so awesome. I want that. I was like, yes, that would be great. You know, and you'd go home. Hey, Nathan, this is... Y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I, you know, young people going, what's he doing? He, he sound like a turkey or something. Y'all knew exactly what it was. You hit that You hit that rewind, and you heard that. You know? How many messages did you have? 
I remember that stuff before we had a before we had a lot of the technology we have today. And so, man, it was crazy when when a missionary would come. Missionary would come to the church. I remember I was a kid. I'd be a kid and I'd be squalling. Right? Because I mean, all we had was Encyclopedia Britannica. And you had to, you had to go to the library. But there was encyclopedia salesmen that went around door to door. You know, and so if your family was really committed, somebody was making payments. And you had some Encyclopedia Britannica. And ours was black and white when I was a kid. I don't even think that if there was any color pictures in it, there wasn't many. But man, if you're going to research something, you didn't pick, pull your phone out and Google it. Now, you went over to the Encyclopedia Britannica if you was blessed enough. We were poor, and they, they were committed to education, though, my parents were. So we had that, and we had music. We had Encyclopedia Britannica, and we had music. But now stuff changed. So, you know, 10 years in, your Encyclopedia Britannica was starting to be outdated because it talked about computers, and it was like a mainframe that filled up a house and had punch cards and stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden you was on a floppy disk, so your stuff was outdated. And wasn't nobody going to buy a new set. Mom and daddy done spent. They spent for two years buying that set to begin with. You just better look it up, and if you know there's something different, you're going to have to wait till you get to school and get your library class that week because what, what, you went like once a week, right? You go check out you know, a little book, but you was in there trying to do some work over in the card filing system, flipping through. Some of y'all don't know nothing about Dewey Decimal. <laughs> you was going through all that stuff. So a missionary would come, and they had slideshows. Y'all don't know about that either. That's the, that's the little carousel. Kodak had them. My dad still got one. Every so many years, we try to get him to get all the pictures out. From years past, now the slides are starting to fade. And you had the little slide, and you had them loaded in the carousel. And hopefully somebody labeled the boxes with the carousels, because if not, you had to put them on a thing and run through them to figure out what was in that carousel. And then it hang up, right? And, and it just stopped. You had to figure out where is it and get that, get that slide right and, and go on. But the missionary would come, and he'd show that stuff, and he'd show these pictures. And you had never seen people that looked like this before. Closest thing you'd ever seen was, was in an Encyclopedia Britannica. It wasn't showing on, or, na, or maybe National Geographic on TV when it came on, because mom and daddy most of the time would not let you look at National Geographic magazines because in other countries some people was naked. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in other countries, you know, you'd be in the right country and women didn't have a top on and stuff, so you couldn't look at the National Geographic magazine. But they'd be showing missionaries show pictures. And they'd show all this squalor that people were living in. And as poor as we were, you'd cry. And so you'd respond and you'd give. We called to, we're called to do that. But using our definition, spiritual gifting gets exercised through a supernatural guidance and power. It's evident this is not of our own doing. It's not an emotional response in the moment. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of obligation. And it's not the normal thing that God expects from believers just like we just listed. Spiritual gifts operate spiritually. And they give evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. They're supernatural in origin. They're supernatural in operation. And they point clearly to God as the author and the finisher of them. 
Every spiritual gift like this has an obvious non-spiritual counterpart in the world that must be considered as what the motivation is. The power that is behind it, the level to which it operates in our lives, or whether it's something we've done but not been gifted in. So we have all of these spiritual gifts that are out there. We've all done some of them, if not maybe all of them, at some point. But are you particularly gifted? Has, has the Holy Spirit given that spiritual gifting into your life? And that's what we ought to be asking God and seeking God about. Because he even said, he says, hey, you need to desire the best gifts. All don't do all these things. But you need to be desiring of the best gifts. You ought to do some study into what does that mean then? I'm not giving you that answer today. You've got to do some kind of work. But you ought to because if, Jesus, if, if God said you ought to desire the best gifts, then guess what we ought to be doing? We ought to be trying to figure out what those are and we ought to be desiring them. The, but these spiritual gifts, you see those three main lists. And, and here's the reality. We don't know. We don't know that those three lists, and there's a couple, there could be some other places. And we don't know those are meant to be exhaustive. Maybe other things that, that are spiritual giftings that God does in people's lives. Actually, these were written to three different places, right? We had Romans. What did we have? We had Romans. We had the church at Corinth. And then we also had the... Uh, the church at Ephesus. And you notice, he didn't repeat everything in all of them. So we don't know that this is all exhaustive, so don't get hung up about that. You know, is there some stuff that's outside there? I don't know. Holy Spirit's going to deal with that. But I'm certainly not going to put God in a box and say, well, that's the only ones. That's it. That's the only spiritual gifts that, that God's going to give. But I'm not going to look at those three things and say, well, God doesn't give those gifts anymore. And I understand there's a lot of churches that that's what they focus on. They focus on saying, well, that stuff died with the apostles. Well, I don't see that. I mean, you can't show me that. I, I'm, you can't show me in the Scripture that it died out with the apostles. Now, did, did we get crazy and abuse some stuff? It sure, sure enough happens. Paul had to deal with that. Read all in Corinthians. Paul had to deal with stuff. People, he was going, hey, tongues always seem to be the biggest thing that gets abused in the church world. Just gets wore out, abused. Paul was dealing with it back then. He was having to write and say, hey, you guys are hung up because people coming in, everybody wants to speak in tongues. There's no interpretations being given. If somebody came in from the outside, they think y'all was all crazy. They just think you were nuts. He says, in case you hung up about it, he says, I probably speak in tongues more than all y'all do. I just have them do it at home. He says, I'd, I'd rather speak, you know, what, five words in a known tongue than to speak, you know, 10,000 words or whatever in an unknown tongue. And he goes into all kinds of stuff there. But he doesn't, he never says, hey, this went away. He just says, hey, there's, there's an operation. There's how this stuff works, and, and there's a reason, and there's a purpose. And more people are hung up about the manifestation than they are about the inhabitation of God in their lives. I don't need God to just show up every now and then. I need to know that I'm in his presence all the time. 
we'd be less hung up in some places about, well, we just need God to hurry up and do something in the church service. Man, I need him to do something in my life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I need him to inhabit my life more than just show up a couple of times. Now, I'm excited if he shows up in an unusual way while he's inhabiting all the rest of the time. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, starts talking about stewardship of our gifts. And this, this, is, a, this is a passage, you guys are going to know this. As soon as I start this passage, you're going to go, oh, you recognize this, this portion of Scripture. For it's just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. Now, this, is not, this, is not, this was money. So don't get hung up about the talents and gifts thing that we were talking about earlier. This is, talents was money. That's their version of money. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. Now you, you hear that. That's a message you can preach all in itself. God can put a lot more spiritual gifting into somebody that has the ability to deal with it. And a lot of times I'll just tell you what that is. It's not about your skill level. It's about your maturity. Spiritual maturity, God can't give. Some people, if God gave them a gift, they would abuse it. I don't even have enough time to talk about where the Bible talks about that the spirit is subject to the prophet. God, God will work and God will do stuff in people's lives. I'll give you this quick example, though. There was people still getting saved under Jimmy Swaggart's ministry when he was out hooking up with prostitutes. He was meeting prostitutes out at hotels and stuff and then preaching the gospel, and people were still coming to Christ. Why? Because it is not about the person. The message of Jesus Christ will go out. You can be messed up. Now, this ought to be an encouragement, though, but you can be messed up sharing the gospel of Christ, and God's going to work through the message not because you got everything right. It's not because you say it exactly right or it's really slick or that you got everything together in your own personal life. God's message is what is powerful. He just so happens to also be willing to impart spiritual gifts into us as we submit ourselves to him to then even create a greater work that can happen through us as individuals, but yet pointing back to him. So he gave to them according to their own ability. If he'd have given the guy that had one five, that guy would have been in trouble. He, might, he couldn't handle that much. He didn't have the ability to handle much. If he gave the guy that had two five, it would have been too much for him. Then this, this businessman went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put him to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. Listen, boy, I'm telling you what. I like they leave it at the end of this one because it's at the end of uh, that verse. How about this? If God is giving stuff into your life, go immediately use it. Quit sitting around trying to figure out when God's going to open it. He said immediately. The guy went and he put it to work. I like that. He put them to work. Didn't say he worked them. He took what had been given to him and put it to work. It was a tool. It was something to be used. He put it to work. And then earned five more. In the same way the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, you know, God's giving me this gift, but I just, you know. 
After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five talents approached, presented five more talents, said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more. Master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful slave servants. What about, by the way, if you get hung up about the word slave, I understand. I mean, it was, a, it was a cultural thing. But the Bible also talks about us being bond slaves of Christ, where we willingly give up our rights and say, I will serve you, God, forever, and I will retain none of my own rights, but I will do what you want. So we, in essence, become indentured servants. We surrender our ability to ever walk away and in the, in the Old Testament, the way they did that was they would take and put their, their ear on the, on the doorpost. They would take an awl and they'd punch a hole in their ear. And that was an indication to everyone around them that I have so loved this person that I have surrendered all my, li- my rights in order to serve them for the rest of my life. Everything I have now I surrender to them, never to come up as an option to leave again. I wouldn't do that with men. I'm just being honest with you. If I, was, if I was serving you or if I was working for you, I don't care how nice you were, I'm probably not going to give up all my rights to ever walk away because you're a man. But God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should ever do wrong. God is not a man that he should ever abuse us. God is God and he is love and he will ever, ever plan to not do us evil but to prosper us. Jeremiah 29. Is you're faithful over a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached him. Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave or servant. You were faithful over a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man who had received one also approached him. said, master, I know you. You're a difficult man. You reap where you haven't sown, and you gather where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what's yours. This is what he said. I know that you've been successful. I know that you're able to make something out of nothing. Oh, he was so clearly, this illustration was so clearly meant to describe God. You've been able to take and reap where you didn't even sow anything. God could speak nothing into existence, into becoming something. But, but you gave me something, but you know what? I still, I still have it. I just didn't use it to do anything. You, you gave me this gift. I didn't earn it. You just gave it to me. I didn't do anything with it, but I am going to give you back what's yours. We're going to stand before God one day, even as believers. Not, not in the uh, uh, throne of judgment about sin and all that, but we are going to stand before God and give an account for what we have done with what he has given us. And just like this servant, we don't want to be standing there going, God, I still got what you gave me. I just didn't do anything with it. But here... I'll give you back what's yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money in the bank. Just put it in the bank. And when I return, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is just scripture. I'm just giving you God's word. Because we like to, people would like to have a spiritual gifts message about, whoo, how fast can we start having some prophets that go on? How fast can we start having a word of knowledge? How fast can we start having some laying on hands and some healing and somebody speaking tongues and getting interpretation? And see, we want to talk about all that fun stuff. But then what we really got to be saying is the message that Jesus gave was what has God put in you that you are not using? Because we are going to be accountable for that. He considers that that is being lazy. It's an act of disobedience. It says at least, I'm going to give you my interpretation of what that means. Okay, if you don't want to go use it out in the common good of the, of the pug or whatever, you don't even use it in church. Because you could just put it in the bank. Just go use it at church at least. But if you want, if you're going to sit around and you're going to have an ability, you're going to have a gifting, you're going to have something that God's put into you, and you won't use it for God's kingdom, he in speaking this parable says you are a good-for-nothing slave that's lazy. <laughs> I know you want me to encourage you and come by and high-five down the rows today. But I just got to give you what the Word says on spiritual gifting. It's easy to teach about spiritual gifting and get everybody all fired up about, you know, that hey, you, somebody's going to, like I say, somebody's going to drop some prophecy that's going to shake the world. By the way, if we get enough time at some point to talk about prophecy, prophecy is far less about giving you some word that, that, that's about future events. Prophecy really is about that you're able to expound upon what God is already doing, what's already there. But we, we don't have enough time to talk about all that. Then you got a word of knowledge and some other stuff. But anyway, he says, throw this good-for-nothing slave in the outer darkness. <laughs> it's there, guys. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Now, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. <laughs> Wendy's on Amen. I'm going to come back to that. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything to Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. It's powerful stuff. He says, use your gifts to serve others. And by the way, he says, you need to do some stuff without grumbling about it. I'll just be honest with you. And let's just go ahead and say, because probably some of you are going to say amen at the end of this. If I'm in need of something and you're going to do it, but you're going to grumble and complain about it, I'm sorry, I'd rather you just not do it for me. I'd rather somebody do it that maybe doesn't even do it as well as you do or whatever else, but they do it and they just want to love you. But if you're going to do something and grumble and complain about it the whole time, I'd just rather you not do it. I'm talking about me personally, all right? Now, 
But, but I think from God's standpoint, I think God's. That's why he says he wants you to be a cheerful giver. If you give him, but you got to tell everybody about what you gave, and you got to talk about how, oh, I'm just sacrificing. I'm giving up so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. You might as well just kept that. You could have just kept it. You wouldn't have had to grumble and complain, and you could have used it. We don't have enough time to go into all the scripture where you got, you got I, think, I think it was Barnabas that actually goes and sells and brings and, and gives and and then you got Ananias and Sapphira that they decide to go sell some property and come and try to pawn it off as if they're giving everything. Both of them end up dying because they, 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 you're lying to the Holy Spirit, trying to make a big show about what you're doing. He said, you could have just said. You could have just said that you're just giving a part of it. But now you're lying about it. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Well, we're going to have to clean up so everybody can come over. Well, just say you don't want everybody to come over. Right? So-and-so invited somebody to come eat dinner. We're going to have to do all this to get ready. Well, then just call them and tell them, hey, we can't have you come over because we're too sourpuss about people coming over. (laughs) He said, above all, maintain an intense love for each other. He didn't say maintain love for each other. Maintain an intense love. Have such a love for the people of God. You know, it's interesting. I still keep up with some of this stuff, uh, and I see it on occasion with, with some groups that I'm a part of. But I can remember, this is the one thing that I know about growing up in the denomination that I did and, and um, in years past. You could show up in a city anywhere around this country. This is just what I know. You could show up in a city anywhere in this country, and if your car broke down or whatever else, I can remember my parents saying, hey, if we can just find out where the nearest Church of God church is. Now, that's just because that's what I grew up in. And you could call, and I guarantee you, them folks would come help you. There was a time where that's the way things were. They didn't know you. They just knew they had this connection to you. And people would, all right, hey, we'll be over in a minute. You'd meet folks. We've been in people's house before. We've had some stuff out. We've been in people's house out traveling and go to General Center or something, have something going, be in somebody's house, and then feed you. They didn't hardly have much either. But they'd feed you. They'd pray for you. They'd, they'd help you out. That's where we ought to be. All believers, not because you're from some given denomination or whatever else. It ought to be from all believers. We have such an intense love for each other. Then when we operate in this spiritual gifting, our love for each other would be so powerful that when we operated within that gifting, it would be amazing how it would impact people. And finally, last scripture, and I'm, I'm going to end this. I'm going to land what our pastor used to say. I'm going to land this plane. But speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the, from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Too many believers only look at how they can serve during a church service. And there's only so many of those spots to go, go around in a given day. What they don't really see is a specific gift they have 
that God wants to use and God wants to work, and it might have nothing to do with a church service. It may have nothing to do with a small group meeting. It may be on your job. It may be that the Holy Spirit uses you to serve in such a way that people look and go, what's different about you? It may be that you're so hospitable. It may be the motive behind how you do. This is what we talked about a lot Sunday night. And other people give, but, but people sense something different about you. There's a spiritual gifting that's driving. It may be Dennis fixing cars. It may be Wayne working on somebody's teeth. Maybe Stevie driving. Maybe these guys being at Honda and working on different car parts and stuff that they do or driving a tugger and making sure one of them don't run over you there, Lance. It may be renting somebody cars. It may be being a stay-at-home mom. It may be being a student. It may be working with people that have some mental health opportunities. It, whatever it is. Allow God to make clear to you what he has spiritually gifted you to do. Because that will be powerful. That is supernatural. That is what God will do that is beyond what is anywhere within your ability. Then, don't ignore the things that God has called us to do where you still may not have a specific gifting. He still called you to serve. He still called you to give. He still called you to be hospitable. He still called you to be all of those things that he also gives spiritual giftings in, although he said, do all do this? Do all have these spiritual giftings? Well, no. But yet we all are to be doing much of this. And then we will begin to see that when we function just in the things that we should be doing, number one, we change as a community, a faith community. But then, when we see God begin to work out spiritual gifting in people in areas, then oh, what a change. Because everyone is functioning. But then we get to see as God takes and elevates through His supernatural power in an area in someone's life. And while we're all serving, all of a sudden we see something that stands out. We know, oh, God has gifted that that person, through that spiritual gifting. But it's all pointing back to God. As that begins to happen, then we'll look around and say, I'm not an eye. Maybe I'm a foot, but I'm going to do my part. God maybe hasn't gifted me to be an ear, but maybe he's gifted me to be a nose. Maybe God hasn't gifted me to be the mouth. Maybe he's gifted me to be a hand. But whatever it is, I'm going to be it for the glory of God. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, and speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me.